0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. We're continuing um, our study in the Gospel of Mark. And I'm going to pull um, just a couple of verses out of Mark that leads us in a number of Different directions. And so, Mark chapters 11 and 12 record specific conflicts between Jesus and the religious leaders that reveal principles and identify hard issues so important for us today. Jesus himself warns us not to duplicate those religious leaders' attitudes nor be influenced by their behavior because, quote, this is the words of Jesus. Everybody ready for some red letter? Do you have a hold of your seats? If you behave like they behave, here's what the Lord says. They will one day be stripped of honor, and the judgment they receive will be severe. That's Mark 12, verse 40. So here's the question I think we need to ask ourselves because the, the Bible's written to us, and it, I'm going to part of what I'm going to talk about today is the spirit of the age. And you may ask me, what do I mean by the spirit of the age? I believe in every age, and I don't mean just the 21st century, but in our recent season, I believe that our enemy, I believe the, the devil tries to release um, attitudes and actions that will affect us, affect the church, affect the world, uh, affect society. So I say that's like the spirit of the age. And if we don't recognize what that looks like, we, I think, will come under its influence, and that's not going to be good. And so we're going to take a look at some of this. So what were these attitudes? What did Jesus specifically warn us not to do? You know, when you're preaching, there's so many things that go through your mind. One of them is, gee, I hope I do a good job. You know, nobody wants to do a bad job. Everybody wants to be successful. But as I approach this weekend, but then I also think, what can I do to help people? Because if I can't help you, I'm really... I'm not doing my job. If I can't um, identify things that could um, adjust our lives and make things better. You see, one of the things we need to recognize is a friend of mine used to say, no man, no woman, no one is a vacuum on two legs. And what he meant by that was everyone has a belief system even if they say they don't. And it's your belief system, it's the things that you believe, it's those attitudes, those motivations, those things that go on inside that really determine so much of what happens to you in your life. And if you don't change some of the ways you think and and some of the things you believe, your life really won't change and, and you'll sort of get where you're going. But some people don't know where they're going because they haven't uh, had maybe some of the kind of experiences that, um, that are important to help us understand how life works. I think, I think a lot of times we don't even know how life works. How many of you would say there's some, give some credence to, to that? And I wanted to tell this story. In, in this particular cultural environment, I'm jumping around, but I'm just going to jump. I believe that the spirit of the age, not the spirit of God, but the spirit of the age manifests itself in polarization, accusation, criticism, and hatred. And to the degree that we participate in those things, we're actually giving place to our adversary, and it's not like you can have those attitudes and they only affect the people you have them towards. Who would like an example of that? Well, one or two, but I'm going to give everyone an example of that. All right. <laughs> Jesus gives us these warnings because they're essential. He says, judge not for you shall be judged with the same judgment, say same judgment, same. the same judgment you judge example I spent um close to twenty years in the in in sales in the food equipment industry, and one of the jobs I had is a I was a traveling um uh, commission salesman, and I went from my, once I got off a salary and got on commission, my salary doubled every year for about three years. And I would sell the equipment, and I had people working at the company who were installation people. In other words, I would sell the, I had to sell it, get it installed, and collect payment for it in order to get my commission. And so I was on straight commission. If I didn't sell anything, I didn't make anything. And the installation crew were all salaried. And so a jealousy developed because I began to do quite well, and they were basically on a fixed salary. And so when I was out selling and they were in the shop, I might find a put-out cigarette butt in the drawer of my desk or they may have eaten and talked on my phone. They could have spit ham all over my receiver. Just So there was this sort of friendly hatred. <laughs> I don't know what it was, jealousy or something that continued to go on. And so one day the uh, the, the head installation guy who was sort of the head nemesis, big old well and... Uh, he really filled out his shirt, I don't know, <laughs> trying to be kind. <laughs> he was out in the parking lot just below the loading dock washing the service truck, and he had wet it, and then he had laid the um, the water hose right down on, on dock level, and I walked out there, and I saw it sitting there, and I had on a three-piece suit. In about 20 minutes, I had to meet some client. And I saw him out there washing it, and I was looking at that hose, and I thought, I'm just going to squirt him. I'm just going to let him have it. He deserves it. He spit ham on my phone. He puts cigarette butts out of my desk drawer. I need to let him know he shouldn't do that. And it had one of those pistol grip squeeze apparatuses on the end of it. So when I picked it up, I didn't realize I had picked it up backwards. (laughs) And so I aimed it right. It was going to hit him square in the back. And at the last minute, I reversed my judgment and turned it away from him, and the water squirted right by my ear. Now, that's a humorous story, but it's a very telling picture of the messes we get into, how problematic they can be, and who actually determined how bad those situations were going to be. But we're blind. We don't see it. Therefore, Jesus would tell us, right? This is the human condition. You reap what you sow to the degree that you criticize and condemn and judge. Now, there's righteous judgment, and by righteous judgment, I mean you have a reasonable understanding of what's going on. But there's this polarization. There's this accusation. There's this venom. There's this criticism, and to to the degree that each one of us participate in that it has repercussions that you may never understand until you're in the middle of something. Everybody with me? Anybody nervous right now? Anybody? Really? I hope so. I hope, I hope you're thinking, wait a minute, are these principles true? Well, yes, they are. Yes, they are. And so I'm really concerned about what I would call the spirit of the age, and I'm challenging each one of us to let the Lord search our hearts so that we can behave, so we can have wisdom to to know what to do. You know, so many, I've got another little story I think is pretty, pretty telling. So many of us believe what we are somehow pressured to believe about things. Either peer pressure or fear, or, you know, fear of failure. Let me give an example. In that same company, one of my bosses, very good man, don't misunderstand this, but he's dead now, so I could tell the whole story and call him by name. I won't, though. But I worked at one point in what we would call a bullpen. There might be five or six of us in a small, not, you know, not too large area. So any, any phone conversation you had, I could hear at least your side of it. And so my boss literally, his desk was about six feet away from mine. And I was on the phone with this guy and I was in the middle of a situation to where he believed I owed him $500. And I did owe him $500. But if I lied about it, I wouldn't have to pay him $500. And my boss knew the whole story. Everybody up to speed. And so as I'm talking to this guy, my boss is whispering to me three little words. Lie to him. Said it twice. Lie to him. Okay. What am I going to do? That's my boss. Then the Lord just dropped some wisdom in my heart. And I told the guy, hey, let me put you on hold. I put him on hold. And I said to my boss, I said, listen, if I'll lie for you, I'll lie to you. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I mean, he could have fired me. But guess what? The truth was, I wasn't selling my soul for 500 bucks to anybody. And I wasn't going to be forced to believe or act or behave. Listen, in any ways other people try to make me unless it's something authentically who I am. What price are you willing to pay for your integrity? Do you know what he said? He, He couldn't answer. He just sat there clipping his fingernails, and I waited, you know, a painful 15 seconds, and then I got back on the phone. I gave the guys 500 bucks, but guess what happened? Who did my boss trust more than any other salesman in that company? Me. Do you know why? He couldn't make me lie, and I told him plainly, I lie for you. I'll lie to you. What do you want me to do? So God has that kind of wisdom. Does that make sense? But we can't, we can't be manipulated or conned into living beneath our calling. And, and that's true in so many different areas. Now, I've got a verse I want us to read out of Mark 12. And this is in the Passion Translation. So let's, uh, let's read this together. Is everybody ready? Jesus also taught the people, beware of the religious scholars... They love to parade around in their clergy robes and be greeted with respect on the street. They crave to be made the leaders of synagogue councils, and they push their way to the head table at banquets. For appearances' sake, they will pray long religious prayers at the homes of widows for an offering, cheating them out of their very livelihood. And here's the here's the warning. Beware of them, for they will one day be stripped of honor and the judgment they receive will be severe and so if this is a warning you know what what motivated these religious leaders in verse 38 they did what they were doing to be seen by men yeah what are your motivations for what you're doing are you willing to do something good for somebody and never get never get thanked for it or are you willing to do good for somebody and somebody else who didn't do it get thanked for it but see the lord will really check our hearts doing what you do to be seen by men okay what motivated these religious leaders an inordinate desire for power um One of the things that, that really may concern me the most for all of us is do we love the truth, whatever the truth is? Or, or do we, and we see this in these religious leaders, to them, truth was whatever was convenient to help them obtain their own goals. And, and that can, that can really be tricky an inordinate desire for power. Um, also in, in verse 39, it says they crave to be made the leaders of synagogue councils, and they push their way to the head table at banquets. So they force their way into prominence. They appear spiritual, or we can call it holier than thou for appearances sake. Greed and the willingness to defraud the poor of their money is another one of their characteristics. So one of the real dangers I think all of us have is the danger of living to the crowd, of pleasing people, the fear of man. It says in the Proverbs, the fear of man's a snare. You see, if I had been afraid of what my boss thought about me, I would have been in a trap. It would have been a bad thing. The trouble was I was afraid of what he thought about me, but there was somebody else I was more afraid of. Actually, I had another. Okay, okay, I've made myself a hero. How about let me, let me make myself the center because I'm both. We used to handle Eckerd Drugstore's um, restaurant counter business. How many of you remember Eckerd's used to have food service? And you could, you could get uh, Donna used to love their hot dogs. Do you love their hot dogs, Donna? I'm going to get you a hot dog this week just to commemorate. Never mind. (laughs) And so we would, you know, before I got out on commission, I handled a bunch of these drug stores, and they would call in and say, send three dozen teaspoons to number 122 in Jacksonville, which was beneath me. But nevertheless, I had to do all this. And I had um, a problem with procrastination. How many of you know what that procrastination Yeah. I didn't want to do it. I just put it off, and so the manager came in one day and he said to me, "Robin, I called in the other day and asked you to send these teaspoons, and they don't have them yet." And I said, "There were a couple of us that handled those accounts." I said, "No, you must. You must have talked to Gary. What would you classify that statement as? <laughs> a lie. <laughs> Let the records show. A lie." But you know, if you know the Lord, he he can talk to you about what you do. Are you aware of that, everybody? So the Lord said to me, "Go tell him you lied to him." Now, here's what I was weighing: who could get me more in in more trouble? The guy ordering the teaspoons or the Lord? Do you understand? That's part of what the fear of the Lord is about. You don't want to. You don't want to play with Him. We think, and it's true. He loves us. His mercy's great. He died for us. He's done all this. But there's another side to Him where you can't just play with Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? He he will he will get you out of messes, but he may wait a while. I mean, there's some messes haven't been difficult enough for some of us because we haven't learned the lesson yet. Can I say something that, Blaine? Now, I'm not wishing pain on anybody, but I am wanting us to, to really make the grade here with the Lord. So I went to the man and I said, Mr. Mandanis, I lied to you. He said, I know. <laughs> well, because I was honest with him, we developed a very good relationship. But it was humiliating. But here again, do you, do you simply love the truth? Um, we have another verse of scripture that I didn't put up, and it's in Mark 12, 13, and 14, actually verse 15 as well. And it's another characteristic of the Pharisees and what they did because they really did not like Jesus. Do you know why they didn't like Jesus? They couldn't buy him. They couldn't couldn't intimidate or manipulate him because he was the living, walking truth. To him, truth was, Pilate said, what is truth? Pilate said to truth incarnate, what is truth? Do you realize that's how hard it is sometimes for people to recognize the truth? But there's got to be something. There's got to be something in our hearts where we we love the truth no matter where it takes us. I remember years ago, actually I, I forgot to do this. I really appreciate prophetic ministry. I really Highly value hearing from the Lord, but there's some danger to that. And the danger is you can begin to try to manipulate what you say the Lord's saying to you to get what you want. How many of you wear that? Yeah. Here's the problem. If you manipulate that long enough, you will lose the capacity to know what's actually true or not. You cannot play with things like that. And I was in that place at one one point place in time, and I had to really humble myself. I really had to say, "Lord, listen, I have played with what it is you 're communicating i just I just want to know what you 're really saying, and sometimes you you can be in such difficult, dangerous situations. you need to know what the lord 's saying to you. I can remember the time I was coming back from Greenville, South Carolina in the snowstorm, and what I did not know and found out later. Ten minutes behind me, they had helicopters shut, shutting down the interstate because it was snowing sideways, and I was plowing up the highway behind these tractor trailer trucks and i couldn 't see the road i couldn 't see anything and i 'm driving at thirty five and forty couldn 't stop my wind it, it, it was snowing and ice was so heavy i couldn 't I had a catalog. And I was reaching out the window as I drove, trying to bang ice off my windshield so I could see. And I couldn't go forward because I was afraid, and I couldn't stop because I was in the middle of this thing. And I cried out to the Lord behind this big tractor-trailer truck. I said, Lord, what do I do? And he said, go around him. And I'm thinking, go around him. I don't know if I'm in the left lane or the right lane or if there isn't. A- go around him. The Lord said, go around him. You need to know if you're hearing from God when you're in that situation. <laughs> so what did I do? I went around him and there was another truck. But see, a lot of the difficulty I was having seeing was in the turbulence and that terrible snowstorm coming off those trucks. I passed three trucks, and it was smooth sailing. But I had to know. So we can't play with the truth. It's too valuable. It's too important to us. So I've made that point. So in Mark 12, I'm going to skip that one. Now, when you talk about the spirit of the age polarization accusation judgment criticism hatred it's coming from all different directions here's something we really need to pay attention to Ephesians 6:12 for we do not wrestle against what what is flesh and blood people people someone look at a person and say you you be a people people Some of you didn't participate, and I'm not angry, but I am making note. Now, for we do not, if it says we do not wrestle against, do you know what it says? We're wrestling, but it's not against what we think we're wrestling against. We are actually wrestling against principalities, powers, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And you have got to ask yourself this question. Are you being angry at people? Are you discerning the spirit of the age? Are you participating with the spirit of this age and in your Heart feeling like it's okay to talk. It's okay to say. It's okay to judge. It's okay to criticize. Well, it is, but remember what comes at the end of it. Not their demise, yours. Now, here's the wonderful, wonderful thing. Jesus, Jesus had 12 apostles, right? One of the characteristics of those apostles is they virtually lived with him day in, day out for upwards of three to three and a half years. They knew him better than anyone knew him. And they were still subject to some of these very same issues I'm talking about this morning. Now, that's good news and it's bad news. It it's good news in that someone that knows the Lord so well could still have those problems, but it's bad news in that they could still have those problems. So in Luke nine fifty one, verses through fifty six, now it came to pass when the time had come for Jesus to be received up, that was talking about his passion and his resurrection, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messages before his face. These were his apostles. As they went, they entered the village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But the Samaritans did not receive Jesus because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So there you see. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He can't stop, visit with these people. His disciples have entered the village to make some preparation for the trip through. And here's what happens. When they did not receive Jesus, his disciples, James and John. How many of you know who James and John were? James and John were two of the top three. Here's what James and John said after they saw the way the Samaritans responded. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did. I don't know what we should do. We should kill them. Let me ask this. Was that a good attitude or a bad attitude? Really. Were they being influenced by the Spirit of God, or by something else in their generation that was prevailing and influencing and convincing and whispering and intimidating and threatening? What did Jesus say? He turned and rebuked them, and when he rebuked them, he actually rebuked Elijah all the way back into the Old Testament. He turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you're of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So people aren't our enemies. They can be access points of evil influence, but we can't demonize each other. Here again, I make this point. We will be judged to the exact same degree that we judge others. So here's the question. What spirit are we manifesting? What's the prevailing influence on our lives and how are we reacting? And those were apostles. Those were people that, they just didn't have faith in Jesus. They knew him. I mean, we, we have a personal savior, but there's a little bit more personal relationship they had. But they were still prone to fall into, wanting to kill 50 people because they disagreed with them over how they treated Jesus. That's amazing. Okay, there's another example of the disciples, the apostles being influenced by the prevailing evil spirits. Mark 10, 35 through 45. This is really pretty funny, actually. And it involves James and John again. What if you were Jesus and you were thinking, okay, I'm leaving here in just a few little days, and I'm going to put James, John, and Peter in charge? How comfortable would you be in doing that? (laughs) James and John, kill them. Peter, whack off Malchus' (laughs) ear just in a couple of days with a sword. They're going to be in charge. Here we go. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Who doesn't? (laughs) But at least they were honest about it. Some of our prayers don't get answered because we're not honest, maybe. I don't know. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand, and on the other on your left hand in your glory. And so James and John are thinking, Jesus in the middle, he deserves the best spot. But I get the second best spot. My brother, he gets the other second best spot. And that that's that would be a good arrangement. And so Jesus basically tells them, you don't know what you're asking for. But then when you skip down to verse 41, it says this, And when the ten, the other apostles, heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Why do you figure? They wanted those seeds. They weren't saying, oh, you men of poor behavior. No, 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 no. They all had this selfish ambition. Um. One of the things I've seen in the last... Five decades is how people align themselves with successful movements, churches, until the trouble comes. Until the trouble comes or until the blooms off the lily. But see, the bottom line of everything is, are you doing what the Lord wants you to do? Are you living where the Lord wants you to live? I know I'm different from the way other people think, but I would never move because I had a better job opportunity. That was not my primary motivating influence. My primary motivating influence was one and one only. I have been bought with a price. I am serious about this Christianity. Lord, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? Where should I live? Now, he could use a job to show you that. See, that's the other side. But the primary thing, you know, and it's not even, well, God first, your family second, work third. No, no. There's no first, second, third. There's just God. All of that's in there together. Now, I know that's a challenge, and I know that doesn't hit with what a lot of people think, but I'm not up here to tell you what you already think if I think you're not thinking what you should think. (laughs) It doesn't mean you have to agree. Do you understand what I'm saying? But hey, listen, the most important place for you to be is the will of God, and you should never make decisions about your life based on what this ethereal, indefinite, quote, they, unquote, Think. That's right. So these guys heard that James and John wanted the chief seats. And Jesus said to them, He called all of them and said to them, He said, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So even after direct access to Jesus himself, the disciples still had their own issues with selfish ambition. Here's a problem with selfish ambition. You could be so aware of it, you, you don't function on your real ambition. You should have ambition, right? But you need to have it because you have some good motivation. Now, John Adams, how many of you know who John Adams is? One of our founding fathers. John Adams made a great statement. He said, truth is a very stubborn thing. We don't make things true because of what we want or what we think. He actually said facts are stubborn things and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passions, they cannot alter the state of facts. And the reason I say that is they're absolute truths in the Bible. I'm not saying everything in there is like an absolute truth because everything in there does not speak to foundational issues. But I believe you can trust what the Bible says about Jesus. I believe the Bible says that there's joy and peace in believing. You see, one of the things that also concerns me is many in this generation have elevated doubt to become like a priority of of their own of their their sort of cultural sensibilities as though doubt were a good thing in other words you're not mature if you're not doubting and questioning everything do you know why i don't doubt and question as much as other people do it's simply because i have answers does that mean everything I believe is 100% accurate? No. But listen, I I am a very basically a very generally peaceful person when things are flying all around me. Now, I can freak out as much as the next guy. But what I'm saying is I am learning to live on settled issues. I no longer question the divinity of Jesus or the virgin birth or any of that because I have discovered When I have been troubled, when I have been in turmoil, when my heart has been raging like the sea, as I have come and returned to the simplicity of the gospel, the peace of God has flooded my heart and I would give that up for nothing or no one because the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. There's joy and peace in believing the truth. And a lot of the turmoil people experience is because you entertain concepts, ideas that aren't valuable. Now, I'm not saying don't question, but I'm saying this. Find out what you believe and stick with it anyway. Now, here's the last statement, our concept, and we're just about winding down. I have learned some of the strategy of the enemy. Let me tell a story. Story number three. Years ago, I had a relationship with this guy who was struggling, seriously struggling. And I spent over a period of months, a lot of time with him to help him recover his stability and And he had been terribly mistreated. And that was part of, he had so much turmoil. And he and I actually befriended each other. He probably helped me as much as I helped him. But over the, over the year, over that period, he came out of a very difficult, dark time. And eventually, over the years, become a very prominent, successful preacher. And there was a point in our relationship where I felt like, and and my attitude wasn't right either, I felt like he was denying what I had done for him and giving credit to someone else. Does that make sense? And I was offended. And I was in some meetings with him, and I was offended. And the Lord said to me, You, that's illegal. Being offended with someone is illegal. See, we think we have a right. No, you don't have a right to be offended. Now, I'm not saying what people, anyway, that's a whole other rabbit trail. So I said, well, what do I do? And the Lord said, why don't you pray for him? And so when I prayed for him, the Lord gave me a vision. And in the vision, I saw someone lie about his character, and it affected his position in ministry. And I, so I said to him, I said, hey, uh, I was praying for you, and I had this vision, and he said, who told you that happened? I said, well, nobody told me that happened. I saw it. The Lord showed it to me. He said, well, that's exactly what happened, and it's cost me the role I have in in ministry. And I said, well, I think I know how to fix that. So I went and talked to somebody else in that organization, and the whole thing reversed in three days. Now, what's the moral of this story? The devil will try to... Bring an offense between you and someone God has called you to help. He's tricky. He's tricky. And this has happened to me more than once. It happened to me again a couple of weeks ago, not with anyone here but outside of here. And I had to recognize, boy. But what happens is when you give in to an offense, you lose the capacity to help other people that generally have something to do with your destiny. You cannot afford criticism, judgment, and offense. Now, who would like to repent? Yeah, if that's you, just stand up. Let's just do a little bit of business. Let's just, you may not be able to change what you've said, but you can do something really better. You can repent. And the things you repent over, God forgets. So, hey, Andy, Andy Squires, why don't you come lead this? You want to lead this? While he's coming, let me say this. We haven't. We've had close to 40 people on prophetic and healing ministry teams, and we're down to about 15. And I was going to do this training this week, but if I don't have about 10 people who really wanted to do it, I was going to put it off. And so, so far we have one person signed up. Were there others that wanted to do it here this morning? One, two. Oh, you guys are already in. One, two, three, four. Okay, we'll do it. And the team members, too. It would be great if you guys would come. So here's Andy. Well, there's
1: a few places in the world that you can be offended right now, right? When you're when you're driving on the road, you can be offended. You can be offended on social media. You can be offended watching uh, cable news or listening to NPR. Um, you can be offended if you're married. You know, you can be offended with your spouse. Um, you could be offended by your kids, your boss. I mean, there's just so much opportunity to be offended, right? And I and I can think of the times in my life. Uh, I I had one offense that lasted for four years, and it um, it well, it ruined some relationship, and I think more than anything, it kept me out of the flow of God's will for my life. So. <clears throat> Always the first step back to getting out of a bad situation is to just repent for anything that you've done wrong in a situation. I mean, it is possible that we've done something wrong in a situation, right? And for me, a lot of the times that looks like just being offended. Because let's just be honest, I am filled with righteous indignation and I am—I think I am right most of the time. So. Have you ever thought about that? Like you think about all the thoughts in your mind, like I generally think that everything that I think is absolutely right. That is a terrible place to live, you know? Like that's why you have to bump up against guys like Robin and, and myself even sometimes. And it's like, no, you're not right. It's, but that's okay. You know, it's, it's actually refreshing to admit we're not always right. Amen. All right. Well, let's just end this with a small prayer of confession. I'll just, you just agree with me and and I'll pray for each one of us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that the scriptures say that we can boldly come before the throne of grace. Right now, that's what we're doing, God. We come because you have prepared the path for us to your mercy, Lord, and we just bring to you. Each offense, each individual offense that we might have against somebody else in our life, against a situation, whether it's individual or corporate. Lord, these heavy burdens that you did not mean for us to carry, we lay them at your feet and we give them to you, Father. And we ask you to take these heavy burdens. Lord, we give you our offenses and we ask you to give us your humility. Let us walk this week in extreme humility, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, give somebody a hug and a high five and don't be stranger.
0: You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.